Welcome to FAM Church. I'm excited that some people actually stayed in town and came to church today. That's always a good thing when you can look out and see people here. I'm excited that all of you are here at FAM Church. We are here to connect people to Christ. That's what we're here for. That's what we are about. And so that we, we hope that today, you coming through these doors, you sitting in this room has helped to connect you to Christ. And if you are new to the church world, you've, you're in church for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, we're really excited that you are here. We believe God has something to say to you today. And if you're thinking to yourself, I think I'm crazy for coming here. I don't think you are. We don't think you are. We think God really has something to say to you today. And uh, we're continuing our series called uh, Letters from Patmos, and we're looking at the book of Revelation. We're looking at the first three chapters of Revelation, and uh, those are the letters that uh, Jesus kind of spoke to John, and John wrote to seven churches in Asia. And, uh, and uh, if you missed any of the first two messages, you can go check them out at uh, myfamchurch.com or the Fam Church app. You guys download the Fam Church app. Everything you need to know comes on there, even push notifications for events and for things that are happening uh, in the church. Um, and you can watch or listen on the Fam Church app as well as at the, uh, the, the webpage. But uh, what we saw last week, when we looked at week two, what we saw there was that in these letters, Jesus revealed himself with seven different characteristics to the seven different churches. Each church, he gave a different characteristic of who he was to that church. He revealed a different part of himself to that church. And the, and the reason that he did that was because each one of those churches was going through something different. Something different was happening in each church. And in order for the church to get encouragement from Jesus and who he was, he revealed these character traits. They needed to know these characters of Jesus were per characteristics of Jesus were perfect for the situation that they were going through. Okay, and so he revealed himself as, first of all, the one who is present in the church. And then he also showed us that he is the one who died and he came back to life. The third thing that we saw was that Jesus was the one with all authority. We also saw that Jesus was passionate. A fifth characteristic we saw is that Jesus knows all things. He even knows all things about our lives. And guess what? He loves us anyways, even though he knows everything. We also found that he's the only way to be saved. And then finally we saw that Jesus was faithful to us no matter where we ended up in life. And how we saw all of that applied to our life was this. When we're going through stuff in life, when we're dealing with situations, when we're dealing with circumstances, Jesus is going to come and show himself to us in those situations and circumstances, and it's going to be perfect for what we are going through. And so if we are struggling with something, if we are battling with something in our life, if, we, if we've maybe got a sickness in our body, Jesus could show himself as the healer at that point in time. Or maybe if he doesn't show himself as the healer, he's going to show himself as the one who can sustain us and carry us through everything that we're going through. You know, we, when, we're, when we're struggling with, 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 with sins and with things in our lives, Jesus can show himself to us as the deliverer, as the one who sets us free. But whatever it is we're going through, Jesus comes and shows up and shows those characteristics to help us to get through, to battle through whatever it is we're going through. And so that was last week. 
And so this week now we're going to move into the specific content of each one of the letters. And, and we're starting with the first letter today, the, uh, the letter to the church uh, in Ephesus. And if so if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, you are welcome to turn there. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 this morning. Um, it's at the very back of your Bible. So if you just go all the way to the end and page forward a little bit, you should run into Revelation. If, if you're saying to yourself, man, I don't know where it's at, that's fine, that's cool. We're going to have the, uh, the verses on the screen behind me for you to follow along with. Um, but I've got to tell you this morning, I was kind of blown away by what I saw here because I had spent the week kind of going through commentaries on the book of Revelation. If you don't know what commentaries is, it's just some really smart guy or girl sat down and studied the book really intensely and just wrote all their thoughts into this book. And that's all it is. And so I was reading this and I was just like, it wasn't hitting the point. It wasn't speaking to what I thought God wanted to say to the church. And I ran into this pastor in one of his writings and, and I was like, wait a minute, that I think is what God is wanting to say. And, and when I saw this, I mean, it to totally blew my mind. And so the starting point today is a question. I seem to always start off with a question, don't I? Do you guys ever think about what you value? Do you ever really sit down and think, what do I value? I think for the most part, most people don't generally stop and say to themselves, you know, I, what do I value? Maybe, maybe we do in a year like this, you know, when it's an election year and, uh, and we're looking at the candidates and we're trying to figure out who to vote for and we're looking at them and we're going, okay, where are my values at? Where are the candidates at? Which one of these guys, which one of these ladies should I vote for? I mean, maybe, maybe we do that, but I think generally we don't reflect on our values. Now we can kind of get values, we can kind of get the things that we value by going to places like our social media, right? If we were to look at our, our Facebook, our Instagram, our Snapchat, our Twitter, those sorts of things, and we were to see the kind of things that we post on there, it would kind of paint a picture of the things that we value in life. And it's kind of funny because that's our go-to now for figuring people out, isn't it? We, we Facebook stalk them, we Twitter stalk them, we Snapchat and Instagram stalk them to figure out who people are. I mean, it's just kind of where our culture has, has gone these days. But, uh, but, but not only do we have values, but guess what? Our church has values as well. And if you were to walk in either one of the side doors and walk down the hallways, you'd see some of our church's values. You know, one of the things that we value here at FAM Church is connection. We think that we can't do life alone as believers, that we need to be connected with one another. And so that's why we do some of the things we do. That's why we have that one-minute greet time, even though some people I know, some of you that come here on a Sunday morning, you absolutely dread that one minute. It's the worst one minute of your week. But we like it because it allows us to meet people and connect with people. You know, that's why we do things like the women had their, their, their dinner a couple of weeks ago at Panera Bread. They did it so the women can get together and talk and build connection. And, and that's why we had our Sunday growth group start back up this morning. It's not only is that there for us to help, to help us grow, but it's also there for us to connect with other people in the church. It's there to help us connect with one another. And so if you weren't here this morning, next Sunday, be here at 945 and we'll get you in one of our, our Sunday growth groups and it's gonna help you grow in your faith and it's also gonna help you connect with people here at FAM Church. And, and connection is a place that helps us grow as well and it's one of the values that we have here in the church. Well, the church in Ephesus uh, that we're gonna be looking at this morning, they had values as well. And they had values that Jesus had to address because their value system became just all jacked up. 
okay? And so we're going to read Revelation uh, chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. And this is what it says in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, those who have tested uh, those wait a minute, wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So this letter, it kicks off, once again, statement, Jesus says he is present with the church. And we've covered that the last couple of weeks. And so if you'd like to hear more about that, you can go back to week one especially. But also week two, we talked about that in a little bit. Jesus is present with his church. And so after Jesus talks about being present with the church, he starts to give the church some praise, right? He starts to tell them all the good things they're doing, all the wonderful things that they're doing, how they're doing some right things. But then Jesus, in the middle of it, all of a sudden just brings the hammer down on them, right? Have you guys ever been in that position? Like maybe you were talking to your mom and everything was nice and sweet and then from out of nowhere, bam, mom brought the hammer down. Been there, done that, anyone? Am I the only one? I know I'm the, I'm the okay, okay, a few people. All right, all right. Yeah, I, I think that it's something that many of us had experience, have experienced. You know, we've, we've had the hammer brought down on us. And, and it's funny because they tell you when, if you want to give somebody a critique, Give them a compliment, the critique, then another compliment. I absolutely hate that. Don't do that to me, okay? Just give me the critique. I don't, I don't, I don't need the compliments because I always feel like you're just setting me up and all of a sudden, boom, right across my face, okay? So don't, don't, just hit me in the face, okay? Don't be nice first, all right? That's, that's all I got to say about that one. But um, he goes to the church in Ephesus and he says, listen, guys, you are not doing what you were supposed to be doing. You're not doing what you're called to do. And you know what? The issue is so serious. It's so intense that if you don't change what you're doing, if you don't change where you're going, if you don't change the direction you are headed in, I'm going to come and put your light out. Has anyone ever been told by someone that someone's going to take your lights out? They're going to knock your lights out. Anyone been in that position before? Okay, a few of us have. I thought I may have been the only one in here because I know I'm, one, I, I'm a bad person. I got in a lot of trouble. Uh, I had a lot of conflicts uh, when I was younger. But yeah, when somebody comes to you and says, I'm going to put your lights out, it's not a compliment, is it? Jesus is kind of ticked off right here. I mean, he's willing to snuff their light out. And so what's the story? What's the problem? What's the issue that Jesus feels the need to come to this church and tell them, He's going to knock their light out if they don't get the ship back on the right course. Well, he tells us, he says that they have forsaken their first love and they need to do the things they did at first. 
And when I look at those statements, I think if you've been around the church for a long time, you're kind of saying to yourself, yeah, I know what he means. You know, first love, Jesus. He's saying, you know what, they need to, they need to pray more. Oh, you know, you know what, they need to read their Bible more. Oh, you know what they need to do? They need to spend more time at church. That's what Jesus is talking about here. They need to just invest more time in and with him. Can I say that I don't think that that's what's going on here? It's because he connects it to this phrase, do the things done at first. It actually tips us off to the problem. And when we look at the things they did at first, it's gonna blow your mind as to what Jesus is saying here. So you may be asking yourself, how do we know what they did at first and how is it connected to their first love? Well, it just so happens that there's a place in the Bible that records what this church did at first, what they did at the beginning. It's in the book of Acts. It's in Acts chapter 19. And so if you would like to turn to Acts chapter 19, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 20. And uh, if you don't know where that, that's at, beginning of New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. And uh, it's kind of the story of the early church. And, uh, and so it's going to be on the screen behind me if you can't find it. And before we get into that section, I just want to say a couple of things about this city of Ephesus, okay? This city was an interesting city. It was one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire, and it was the most important city uh, in Asia, in, in Asia Minor, okay? It was a very important city. It had an incredible harbor that brought ships in, and so it brought lots of trade from all over the Roman Empire. But not only did it bring ships into there, two major trade routes intersected in the city of Ephesus, and so you had trade coming from all over the Roman Empire via foot as well. And so you had this city that had trade coming via the sea, trade coming via foot into their city. And so guess what that means? When you got a lot of trade going on, that means you got a lot of money going through the city. Okay? And when you got a lot of money going through the city, guess what happens? People show up. Why? Why would people show up in a city where there's lots of money? Because they want to make money, right? Everybody, nothing's changed. 2,000 years ago, people are still the same today. They wanted to make some money. And so people started to go to Ephesus. People started to move to Ephesus. They started to come from all around the Roman Empire to this city. And the city began to grow and grow and grow and grow. So by the time Paul got there, Ephesus was a city of 250,000 people. I mean, try and picture, it's, it's hard to picture because, you know, we live here in central Florida and we've got Orlando on one side and Tampa on the other. And so, you know, we're, we're used to bigger cities. It's not something that's, that's strange to us, but 250,000 people back in ancient times was a big city. And people were coming by the day. And, and just so you know, just so you get perspective, Orlando, the city of Orlando's population right now, just the city itself is 255,000. So it's roughly, it was roughly the size that Orlando is. Now, that doesn't count all of Orlando's suburbs. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was about the same size as Orlando. And so it was a big city. And here's what happens. Here's the story. Here's the events that Paul, or Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, describes to us when Paul entered the city of Ephesus. Uh, Acts 19.8, it says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all of the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. 
God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Not the beating any of us want to receive, right? Running out of the house naked and bleeding. Has anyone been there, done that? Anyone want to volunteer that information? Okay, Uh, when when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachma. In this way, the the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This is one of the most fascinating stories to me Uh, in the New Testament because of what you see happen. I mean, there's been many times where I've said to myself, man, God, do something like that here and now. Do something like that. It didn't matter where I was at. Do something here and now in the church that I'm at now. I want to see something like this happen here at Fam Church. Now, I'm I'm not looking for uh, for handkerchiefs to be passed around to heal people, okay? We're not looking to do that. I remember years ago, there was this TV evangelist that for 20 bucks, okay, you could buy a hanky that he had prayed over. All you had to do was take that hanky home and whoever was sick or wherever the sickness was in your body, just lay it on there in Jesus' name and that sickness would be gone. Okay, we're not gonna do that. Don't ever come and ask me to pray for a hanky, okay? We're not gonna do that. Um, but but uh, there are two things in this story, in this event, in these events in Acts that show us what the problem was that caused Jesus to threaten to put their light out in Revelation. And the first one was this. They esteemed, they valued, they cared about the wrong things. We already talked about this in the opening, but let's move back to our values. You know, in life, as we said, we've got things that are important to us. And some of us, I mean, I think most of us can look at some of our values and say, man, some, some of the things that we actually value are out of whack. Does anybody in here belong to an HOA. Besides me, am I the only HOA member in here? Okay, we got a few HOA members in here. Can I tell you that HOAs are just strange, strange things? Because they have such weird values, okay? I mean, our HOA, I've told some of you this story. I don't think I've told it in actual service, but we had our annual meeting in January. And we're sitting in this meeting, and one of the ladies on the board was just fired up about something. You know what she was fired up about? There was a guy who had a weed growing in one of the seams of his driveway. Oh, she was ticked off about this weed. We sat there for literally 10 minutes of this meeting and listened to her as she told us about how she's tormented every day as she has to drive past this man's driveway and look at the weed in his driveway. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? I mean, I couldn't believe that I had wasted 10 minutes of my life for her to discuss this stupid weed, okay? I mean, but that's what she valued. And by default, because she was on the board of the HOA, that's what the HOA values. Whether or not you have a weed in your driveway crack, okay? 
I mean, and then, you know, others of us, maybe we don't belong to an HOA, but I, I know a lot of people, they like to value their cars. Do we have any people who really value their cars in here today? All right, Brian. Yeah, people really love their cars. I mean, I know some people that will wash their car every week. They'll get inside and they'll armor all everything. I mean, even the floor mats. Can I tell you, armor alling the floor mats is a bad idea. All it does is you put your foot in and it slides it forward and you hit your shin on the dashboard. Okay, it looks cool. It's not fun to get into. But I know people who will do this. They will literally armor all their car, uh, the whole inside, vacuum the whole inside, wash the whole outside every single week. It's one of the projects. It's one of the chores that they have to do. People just love their cars. Well, last Sunday afternoon, I was, uh, I was running in our neighborhood and uh, I was running down this one street and for some reason in Florida people like to park their cars on the sidewalk. I've not understood this because in my past experience, it's always been illegal. But here, I guess that's part of the driving school. They tell you it's okay to park on the sidewalk. I don't know. Because we've got cars parked all over our sidewalks in our neighborhood. So I'm running down the, I'm running down the sidewalk and uh, there's this guy with his car parked in the sidewalk. And I don't want to sprain my ankle, so I'm watching where I run. And so I go around his car, and when I cut back, I cut it too close. And I caught my hip on the corner of his car. It was like a 1998 Toyota Camry. Well, he happened to have been sitting in the car, and he was pissed, okay? He got out of his car, and he started yelling at me, how dare I touch his 1998 Toyota Camry? Okay, nothing happened to his car. There was no dent in his car. I've got a big bruise on my hip. Do you guys want to see it? Okay. But no, I got a mark like this big on my hip from hitting his car. But he was not happy with me because I hit his Toyota Camry. We value things. We value strange things as people. Well, see, when Paul arrived in Ephesus, they had a value. They esteemed something. See, in verses 8 and 9, it tells us when Paul arrived in Ephesus, he went to the church. Okay, it says synagogue in your text, but back then, that was the church. Okay, the synagogue was the church. And he went to this church, he went to this synagogue because he wanted to tell them about who Jesus was. He knew that they needed to hear the message of the Savior that they have been waiting for for over a thousand years. And so he was excited to go in there and say, look, I've got the Savior, I found him. And he actually stayed there for three months, arguing and discussing with them about this Jesus who had come. Well, they didn't want to hear anything about what Paul had to say. They had determined that they were going to be- what they were going to believe and there was no one or nothing that was going to change their mind. See, they placed a high value on the beliefs and practices that they had. It was more important than anything else, and so they really didn't care that the Messiah had come. Why? Well, because it's going to change everything. Now suddenly all the things that they believed in, now suddenly all the practices that they had, now suddenly all the things that they were doing had become irrelevant and they were gonna to have to do something different. Now, what I'm not saying here is that it's bad to have a good belief system and structure. 
Okay, that's not what I'm saying. Those things are good. The church was commended for having those things in Revelation. Strong theology that they, uh, that they work hard and that they test people who come to them to, to make sure that they're apostles. Jesus says that's a good thing. But the problem comes when that is valued above the most important thing. See, this is what happens in so, many, in so many churches here in the United States. You know, I've had people come and say, man, why do we have people planting more churches in Lakeland? And there's already so many churches here. We don't need any more churches. Well, the reason is because the longer a church is in existence, the more it becomes like the synagogue that Paul arrived at the more it becomes maintaining their theology, maintaining how they do things because they feel that God has ordained the things that they are doing and they shouldn't have to change any of them. They need to continue doing them the exact same way. Can I tell you something? Jesus never said, thou shalt have a youth ministry. Jesus never said, thou shalt have a children's church. Jesus never said, thou shalt have royal rangers and girls ministry. Thou shalt have Sunday school. Jesus never said any of those things. But churches start to believe that Jesus has said, you must do those things. And when we believe we must do those things, when we value those things over the first things, that's when we start to value the wrong things. There's nothing that we do here that Jesus said, you must do. He never said, you must have a Wednesday night service. He never said, you must have a nursery. He never said, you even need to have a Sunday morning service, okay? Jesus never came and said, thou must have a Sunday morning service if thou want to follow us, me, okay? Words never came out of his mouth. The only thing that Jesus gave us for a guideline was five purposes for why the church is here. We must worship, we must disciple, we must provide fellowship, we must minister, and we must reach out. That's it. It's flexible as long as we're not sinning and doing what we're doing. Bam, church, we cannot be so caught up in what we do. We cannot be caught up and, and say and make things that are not equal to Jesus as equal to Jesus. The reason that churches are being planted in areas like Lakeland is because the church has gotten caught up in these things and said these things are the most important things and they're not the most important things. I mean, a friend of mine <clears throat> interviewed at a church here in Lakeland last fall. I won't tell you which one. There's lots of them, so you probably won't be able to figure it out. Uh, but... Uh, <clears throat> He went to the church, they're in serious decline. There were 250 people, now they're like down to 30. <clears throat> and uh, he sat down to interview with the board. And he started talking about <clears throat> what his vision is for ministry. And uh, one of the guys looked right at him and said, uh, you plan on bringing drums into this church? Uh, he said, well, I mean, if you want to see young people, because this church had nobody under the age of 60 in it, okay? And he says, well, if we want to see younger people coming in, then yes. And the man said, there is no way that drums are going to come in to my church. They are the devil's instrument, and it'll be over my dead body before they come in to the church. Where in the Bible does it say that drums are the devil's instrument? It doesn't. It doesn't say anything about drums. 
But see, at some point, this man had been convinced that they were the devil's instruments, regardless of whether or not Jesus said it or it says it somewhere in the Bible. And he was holding on to this thing. He was saying, you know what? This is important. This is so important to me that he was willing to see his church die. There's thousands of people around his church going to hell, and he was more concerned about whether or not there was a set of drums on the stage. That's messed up. This is why Paul left the synagogue, because that's where the synagogue was at. They constructed a theological box for Jesus, and they said, Jesus, get in this box, and you're not getting out because that's how we think it should be done. So Paul went to the lecture hall and he started something so that they could focus on the most important thing. So what's the most important thing that they were missing? They were missing the first love that Jesus has and that's reaching people who are lost. See, there's a connection between reaching people and loving Jesus. How is that? How do you respond when you love something? When you fall in love with somebody, what happens? Suddenly their face is all over your Facebook. Their face is all over your Instagram, your Snapchats. I mean, think about other things that you love, like a restaurant. When you love a restaurant, do you go and tell everybody about this restaurant and how amazing their food is? And there's this restaurant in Boston called Vinny Testa's. Man, I love this place. When we lived there, I just ate there all the time. They had this thing called Muscles Fra Diavolo. It means the muscles are the brother of the devil. I mean, doesn't that sound like a great dish? But it was hot. It was, it was a very spicy dish. And it was amazing. And so I wanted to go there and eat it. Every time family would come from out of town to Boston, where would we go? Vinny Testas. Anytime friends would come from out of town, where would we go? Vinny Testas. Anytime We'd get done with church and somebody'd say, where do you want to go eat? Guess where I want to go eat? Vinny Testa's. The unfortunate thing is that I Googled them and they're closed now. I don't know what happened. I've been gone 10 years and now they're closed. But when we love things, we're like a salesman for it, aren't we? We're promoting it. We're talking about it. We're telling people about it. We want people to know that we love it. And that's what Paul did here. See, he loved Jesus and he knew the people in Ephesus were going to go to hell unless he told them about who Jesus was. And he also knew that the people of the synagogue, they didn't love Jesus. They were in love with their beliefs and knew that he could not accomplish anything great there. So he went down the street and started something new. It wasn't because he didn't want to have to deal with theology. If we can claim anyone who had thought, so, solid theology in the Bible, Paul had solid theology and beliefs. And so what did Paul do? Listen to this. I just want to reread uh, verse 10 in uh, chapter 19, and it says this. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Did you catch that? It says all heard the word of the Lord. You know what the word all means in Greek? All. Okay, pretty tricky word right there, right? Everyone in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. There were 250,000 people in Ephesus. Just imagine how much more were in the province of Asia. We're talking in a two-year period, Paul was able to reach over 250,000 people. That's amazing. 
That's incredible. Just think if we could reach 250,000 people in two years. I mean, it just blow your minds. And it's also the reason Jesus was getting ready to punch the church's lights out. They'd forgotten what they'd done at first. They had forgotten that their passionate love for Jesus pushed them to reach their whole province. And Jesus wanted to get them back to their first love, to get them back to the place where they loved Jesus more than their theology, when they loved Jesus more than their own lives. Jesus knew that there were a lot of people in Ephesus that didn't know who Jesus was at this point because it had been like 40 years since Paul had left. And he knew they were going to hell if the church did not step up and get out there and get on the streets and tell them who Jesus was. He wanted them to get outside the walls of their church, get outside their theological concepts and their their solid theology and all of their biblical stuff. And he was saying, get beyond that, get outside of that, get out there and tell this world that you're living in, this city that you're living in that's lost and dying and going to hell about who I am because if you don't, your lampstand is going to go out. It's not because God was punishing them saying, all right, you're done. It's just that when we get so inward focused that we forget about everyone out there, the church dies. And that's what Jesus was passionate about. He tells us in, 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 one, in the Gospels that, you know, he left the 99 sheep behind to go find the one. He left the nine coins on the table to go find the lost coin. That's how Jesus does it. Jesus' first love is the lost and reaching the lost. And if the church in Ephesus loved Jesus, they needed to do the same. So fam church, the question becomes, what about us? You know, we say we're a church that loves Jesus and we're all about remembering our first love. Are we doing what we did at first? I know none of you were here when this church was founded back in the 1930s, but the lady who founded fam church came from Texas because God told her that there were people lost and dying in this city and they needed to hear about Jesus. And so she left everything in Texas, moved to Mulberry to reach this city. That's the reason God put Fam Church here in the first place, was to reach this city for us to get outside of the walls and reach the people that are outside of the walls of this church. That's what Paul and his team did. But it's not about just us doing outreaches like Hope Fest and stuff like that. It's about us actually having individual, one-on-one conversations with people about who Jesus is and what he's done in our life. It's about us being at Publix and telling someone who Jesus is. It's about us being at Carol's Cafe and telling someone about who Jesus is. It's about us being at Walmart and talking to someone about who Jesus is. See, I feel this is so important that we as the church staff have decided that we're going to push beyond these walls and we're going to start going out and talking to people about Jesus. We're not just going to sit here inside these walls and say, okay, let's reach the community. We're going to get out there. We're going to get out there in teams. Greg's my partner, all right? Pito and Eden are partners. 
Lisa and Diane are partners. And we're just going to start doing it. We're going to start going out into this city and telling people about Jesus. And can I tell you, there's 25,000 people who have Mulberry as their mailing address. If Paul could reach 250,000 with a team, can we reach 25,000? Absolutely. I mean, I just, I just ask God for a tithe. That's all I want. God, give me 10%, 2,500. Let's reach 2,500. Because if God expects a tithe from me, I'm asking the same from him, okay? Get a tithe of this community at least. I told somebody that I, I was believing, I, I believe God wanted us to reach a tithe and, uh, and they laughed at me and they said, God's never gonna do that. But he's not, he's not gonna do it if we're not so consumed with our first love that we want to, that we need to share Jesus with those who are lost. Come on, there's 22, over 22 churches in, a, in an area of 25,000 people. Why are there so many people lost and separated from God here? We need to do something as a church to make a difference, to do something different. And so this morning, that's a challenge for Fam Church. Are we just going to sit here in the church hoping that people are going to come in or are we going to actually get outside the doors of this church and tell people who Jesus is. Because if we just want to sit inside of here, listen to a good message on a Sunday morning and go home, we're going to face the same fate as the church in Ephesus did. As I told you two weeks ago, it's no longer there. And that'll be us. And so I want everyone to really think and consider and ask God to use you to reach someone in this community that's lost and separated from him.